1: up everybody welcome back to another episode of the bootleg football podcast i'm your host brett coleman here with my wonderful co-host ej snyder and uh ej before we we hop into recapping all these wild card games and looking ahead to the divisional round uh gotta say a little less competitive than
2: i thought can we can we fire all the seven seeds into the sun (laughs) like forever (laughs) uh that was a pretty popular sentiment on social media over the weekend yeah we had two competitive games out of six which uh not not what people really want really sort of feels to me like the playoffs start this weekend but we'll get into that
1: yeah big 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 show Uh, a lot of games to go over both past and future uh why don't we start things off a little bit with uh news and notes here first of all thank you to jonah and all the people like him that have joined as patrons and supporting the channel uh keep in mind we have a few more things coming to all the people lucky enough to be uh, patrons of this year podcast uh, including I, I guess you guys kind of directing our draft coverage a little bit coming up here we're going to be asking you guys a lot of questions if you're over on the patreon in terms of who you want us to talk about what you want us to talk about and uh you know we'll we'll, we'll kind of take our cues from you guys as our patrons for uh, for how we do the draft this year. Uh, Also, remember if you are a patron, you do get uh, merch discounts by 20%. So take advantage of that if you so choose. Uh, Second little bit of news here if you missed it, because I know we got some feedback that not everybody's on Twitter, uh, we did our Shrine Bowl roster reveal live stream with the director of the Shrine Bowl, Eric Galco, uh, last week when I was in New York. Took a look at the rosters, or at least the The rosters at the time, they seem to change during all-star week every day or so. But a lot of of really good players we're going to be seeing up close and in person starting next week when EJ and I are over in Vegas at Shrine Bowl Practices. So take a look at that. Get Eric's thoughts on uh, really the draft class as a whole. And then uh, finally, we have some amendments to make for the uh, coaching carousel section of last week's episode. We recorded it before... David Culley was fired from the Texans, and we recorded it before Mike Mayock was uh, unceremoniously let go from the Raiders. Was it yesterday, day before, or something like that? So, EJ, before we get into all these games, give me a reaction to the David Culley firing in Houston uh, and the Mayock firing in Vegas.
2: Yeah, totally expected with David Culley, and that's such a raw deal. It was never not going to be that way. I put out a tweet when he was fired that said, look, this is rugged. He took a job nobody wanted with a roster that was well below the NFL average. If not, a lot of people said the worst roster in the NFL. That's debatable, but definitely bottom three. And overachieved. His teams played hard, even in the early season when they weren't winning. Team played hard for him. They were competitive. They did not get blown out a lot. And at the end of The year they rolled off some pretty impressive wins, like they only had four wins total, but they beat some contenders down the stretch. That is not what anybody expected from the Texans job, because if you rewind history a little bit here, look back, nobody wanted that job. They went through a bunch of people. Everybody said until they get their front office straightened out, I don't want to touch it. Cully took it almost by default. They offered it to him. He is a longtime NFL coach and good for him for getting his head coaching shot pulled pulled down i think twenty two million for basically one year's worth of work Good for good for him <laughs> he deserves it, but that is a raw deal. It was never not going to happen, but he overachieved and through all that, he developed a young quarterback that gives the Texans an option so they don't have to go desperation hunting at the position. That's immense like that is the best possible job well done. Uh, in that situation that he could have could have achieved and and he gets canned so not a fan of that i know a lot of texans fans have said he's not a leader of men it really wasn't about that this he, year
1: he seemed like a good guy i mean
2: when his he teams like, played
1: he's, they played hard like yeah. again they put up almost a 50 burger on the chargers when the chargers were in playoff hunt mode like they did play hard for him. I know he wasn't like a rah-rah, like, you know, Dan Campbell type, but this is a team that people legitimately thought were going to go 0-17, and they went 4-13. and They had somebody a worse
2: said, roster. Somebody said that was his biggest mistake, right, that he was there to, to curate the tank, and instead he got him going and developed a quarterback, had him play hard, and kind of showed up the ownership, and that was the end of it. That, that was an out-there take for me, but it just seemed like... His results were, were really good. People played for him. His style's definitely a little bit different. He is more of a reserve coach. But you look what they were doing at the end of the year. And mm-hmm. even the games they didn't win, they were super competitive. Uh, so great job by him and his staff in a situation that was pretty untenable. You know, he pulls $22 million for a year worth of work, and he should be proud. He should look back with pride at what he was able to accomplish. He and his coaches were able to accomplish.
1: I, I think considering the expectations, and again, I say this as somebody who's followed the Texans since their first year of existence. Went into the year thinking, there's no way this works. And technically it didn't. As the year went on, though, and you saw the team fight and fight and fight, and you saw Davis Mills get better, you started to get the sentiment of like, you know, is this the long-term answer? Probably not. But, man, they could have been so much worse. Like, they, they, they went the complete opposite direction of, like, the Urban Meyer hiring in Jacksonville and were a better team.
2: Yeah, and everybody expected them to be worse. We expected them to be worse. You I don't mm. think you can find much a me- better. Yeah. I don't think you can find a media outlet if you go back to August that was like, No, I, I actually think the Texans are gonna be, you know, not great, but decent. Like nobody was saying that. Everybody was saying dumpster fire and, and all indications were that was absolutely what's gonna happen. And that did not happen. That's a huge credit to them.
1: Yeah. He's a good guy. Glad he got his millions. You know, generational wealth for one year of of, of work ain't bad. So good on you, David Culley. Uh, also, Mike Mayock out in Vegas. This one, this one struck me as a little odd because when Mayock got there, and I understand they're kind of rebuilding again because Gruden's out. Even though they're they're interviewing Rich Pasaccia today, you know, who's in the interim, and he got him to the playoffs somehow through everything so they're giving him a shot in the interview for the full-time job I have to imagine if Harbaugh if the Harbaugh thing is real they would they'll probably do a splash or higher with Harbaugh I would think so Um, but the Mayock firing I struggle with it a little bit because he got there when they were four and 12 and their only Pro Bowl player was Jared Cook this was after the Khalil Mack trade I can't remember if if Amari was traded at this point or not to Dallas I think I think it might have been traded in 2019 in Mayock's first year, but people can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but so Khalil Mack was gone, who was their best player. They got a whole bunch of first round picks. They were a four 12 team. They had little to no hope. And through everything that happened this season, they made the playoffs. And they got contributions from, you know, day two, day three guys that Mayock had an influence in drafting, uh, you know, with, with Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby and, Um, you know, Darren Waller got there the year before Mayock got there, so I won't give him like super credit for that one, but they're, you know, Nate Hobbs, uh, Trayvon Merrick, like they, they got contributions from a lot of guys. And I feel like firing him because of a bunch of missed first round picks that I'm not a hundred percent convinced were all his fault. Like, let's be honest, Alex Leatherwood, you and I reacted to that pick live with the no fucking way he should have been the 17th overall pick. My interpretation of that was Tom Cable, who has a history of wanting athletic freaks that are super raw. They said, Hey, we we gotta up the offensive line. Tom, who do you want? Tom picked Leatherwood, so the Raiders picked Leatherwood. And I've heard whispers that Gruden had more impact on, you know, the the high picks there than Mayock did, and that Gruden had ultimately more roster control than Mayock did. So I, this is a long rant, but it's hard for me to parse exactly what was his fault, and exactly what was to his credit. And so I think he at least deserved another year where we knew that he had control so that we could see what he could do. Because again, I've heard the early picks were Gruden and the late picks were Mayock. I've heard that free agency was more Gruden and they got some good free agency pickups like Denzel Perriman. I don't exactly know what, based on what I've heard, I don't exactly know what was Mayock and what was Gruden. So I just wish he got a year so that we could see absolutely in a quote unquote Mayock year what he would get.
2: Yeah, I'm 100% with you on this one. Put out a tweet that said pretty much the same thing. We don't know. We're probably never going to know. Somebody, strangely, sort of, not clapped back, but just said, maybe we will. Maybe Mike will want to talk. And I was like, have you listened to Mayock for the last, like, 20 years? He's not going to say anything mm-hmm. about his time with the Raiders. We will never know. And that's, you know, that's that's Mike's way of doing things, and, and that's totally fine. But we're not going to know what was Gruden and what was Mayock. Nobody Nobody's going to come out and say definitively. Now, when it was described... By ownership in Vegas, it was Gruden 51, Mayock 49. So he had the tipping vote. And Gruden impresses me as a guy that's real interested in the top 100 and not interested in guys after that. Like, if you show him some players, he doesn't really care where they came from. But if you're telling him he's going to be real interested in round one and two, maybe in round three, and then I think he's kind of going to say, cool, see you on Monday, tell me well, what you get. Well,
1: it's not even that. It's He's a head coach. They don't have time to look at all these guys.
2: Right. So
1: like, that's what the scouts do the whole year is they put together a board and they say, here's who we like. And then, you know, the coaches go through position by position. They look at who they like, and then the coaches give input on the board. But like Gruden doesn't have time to look at 500 guys between January and April. That's impossible.
2: No, he he strikes me as a guy that's real interested in the top 50, maybe, which would be first couple of round picks and then have at it. And again, the Raiders after that range did pretty well. Pulled a lot of talent into the organization. I would say overall up the roster quality. Um, But this smacks to me of a clearing the decks move. This feels very much like we want to get somebody high profile, either as a coach or a GM. And that means Mayock's not staying. If it's the Harbaugh thing, I doubt very much that he would defer to a guy like Mayock. He would consult with him, but Harbaugh does not seem the deferring type and never really has so if they think they've got a shot at him and there's certainly more smoke around that move over the last couple of days mayock had to go they had to clean house and say it's a clean slate we'll pick somebody that you like uh if they do get a guy like harbaugh so you know what's next for mayock has come up a lot i hope he goes back to tv i thought he was great there um i think if anything he's got an even clearer idea of what works in the league process. He was very involved. Uh, Jim Nagy put out a tweet saying folks in the building in Las Vegas said he was the hardest working guy in the building. And there's not a lot of GMs you can say that about. I think that's true. Mayock has always been a grinder. Um, he brought that he's always brought that to his work, whether it was TV analysts, whether it was GM, he was down on the field at, you know, every practice you could see him in training camp. He's down there looking at guys. He's a scouts GM. So I hope he brings that wealth of experience back to the booth um and we all get to benefit you know if he wants to take a year off hey he's earned it uh whatever but we'll welcome you back with open arms wherever you land mike and we've always got a spot for you here if you want to come on bootleg
1: (laughs) shoot your shot ej you gotta shoot or shoot this week's show is brought to you by purple the most innovative sleep solution on the market Purple is the only mattress company that uses their incredible grid design, which is a unique ventilated design that allows air to flow through in order to help you sleep cool, but it's also amazingly supportive for your neck and your spine and your hips and your shoulders so that really no matter what position you like to sleep in, whether you're a back sleeper or a side sleeper, I happen to be both and I kind of rotate throughout the night, their purple grid will be able to cushion you no matter what so that you can just sleep soundly. Unlike memory foam, which remembers everything, the grid bounces back as you move and shift, so you never get that feeling like you're sleeping in quicksand. You're just comfortable the entire time, and you don't kind of wake yourself up by struggling to get from position to position. If you're interested in anything in the Purple catalog, either for yourself or if you wanna give the gift of a better sleep to somebody you love, you can get 10% off of any order of $200 or more at purple.com slash bootleg10 using promo code bootleg10. And again, that will give you 10% off of any order of $200 or more. You just have to go to purple.com slash bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. Thank you again to Purple for sponsoring, and let's get back to the show. Uh, Let's get into the wild card around here. We kind of mentioned that the majority of the games were not competitive. The only two competitive games that we got were Raiders-Bengals, which were, I don't want to say tainted what's the word uh accented by some questionable officiating uh and then we got uh uh, 49ers cowboys which also don't want to say it was tainted by officiating but there were some interesting procedural shenanigans that that pissed off i don't know everybody watching that game uh it was it was just a really really weird ending and dak man just just go down like 10 yards earlier. Please, next time. I don't know. The, the whole thing was fucking weird. Anyway, what is your overall impression of Wild Card Weekend? And uh, how desperate are you to get the taste of that uh, slate out of your mouth?
2: Well, it's out one way or another. That's that's the good thing about last weekend is one way or another, it's over. Um, Thank God. Yeah. No, <laughs> Seven Seeds really, unless they're giving two buys, it, it just it doesn't work. I know it's all about money. You don't have to put that in the comments. I am fully aware that it's all about money. But in terms of a competitive slate, you could have skipped last weekend in general and penciled in and said, these are the teams that are going to win. There wasn't really high drama except for the third team on the field in each game. And and I I say that not tongue in cheek. The third team on the field is the officiating team. And in the current NFL, they mix teams so communication obviously really important for officiating teams they hone it all season they get to know each other's tendencies what and when and where they'll call and then for the playoffs they chop it all up mix and match throw teams together on short notice based on performance and we get what we got in almost every game but certainly want to call out Raiders Bengals because Raiders Bengals was the start it was the first game it was Jerome Boger's crew Uh, who has a checkered history in terms (laughs) of officiating accuracy. Let's put it that way. And that game was... People kind of forget about it because it was the first game and all the games happened after that and sort of cleansed their memory. That game was dangerously close to going off the rails because the officials were losing it. Like The officials were making enough errors, pauses, procedural calls that weren't correct. It was sort of building... That and this is the crazy part. The league put out a statement mid-game saying we're not talking about this until after the game. We know all of you are talking about Th- it. That's they wanted
1: what- to see which way it went. They're like, please, God,
2: be be won by more than seven points. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that is like that in itself is just how close this game was to completely getting derailed which we've seen several games this season, not just high profile games or playoff games, but this is both. This is the first playoff game on super Wild Card weekend. The league has been pushing for this all year. And Jerome Boger's uh, admittedly mixed up crew comes on the field and can't shoot straight. Like they can't even tie their own shoes. And it was horrendous and the crescendo of complaints built really really quickly and this could have gone very very badly for the league they were lucky that it didn't come down to a very tight game that it didn't come down to the raiders winning on some botched calls uh they escaped and then they kind of went shoo we're out of that and then the calls weren't necessarily at that level uh of horrendousness i guess for the rest of the weekend, but they were not great. And there were mistakes, large mistakes, largely in every game. And we just kind of have to talk about it. Our buddy five points vids calls it ref ball. And you can't not talk about it when it sort of dominates the landscape like that.
1: Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a lot of salty Raiders fans because they look at the touchdown where the whistle was blown ball was in the air, the league denied that. And it's like, we can see the video, we're not idiots. That, that was actually the part that pissed me off. Is they, they treated us like idiots. And it's like, we heard it. The ball's in the air. <laughs> Don't lie. Just say it was a mistake. That's fine. But, you know, Raiders fans are, are mad because they see that as a touchdown that shouldn't happen. It was a seven-point game in the end. We played the what-if game. Theoretically, you could still kick a field goal there. Maybe they still win by three. I don't know. The, the game can, there's a million different permutations of how that game could have gone if that call went the other way. We don't know what would have happened. What I do know that happened is that for a solid 45 minutes in the middle of an NFL playoff game, nobody was talking about the game. That is a nightmare scenario for the league. Mm-hmm. Nightmare scenario. The fact that Twitter was not talking about Jamar Chase posting people up and. Joe Burrow getting absolutely hammered by Max Crosby. The fact that that was not what people were talking about in the middle of a playoff game is rough. And uh, it was a report that came out that Bogers Crew's not doing any more playoff games. Yeah, <laughs> Did- I'd say it's probably a good decision.
2: <laughs> Did did you see my tweet about that? I said if this was a mob movie, he'd get a visit from his friends who'd ask him to take a ride.
1: Yeah, he's wearing cement shoes. Over yeah, in river. so, Jerome,
2: me. can you, uh, you jump in the car with us? No, no, he'll be home tonight. It's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, th- that was very much the league going, uh-oh, nope, give us the keys. <laughs> give us the keys. You, you're you done. Put it away. And that's terrible. I wouldn't doubt that the mixed crew thing gets scrapped somewhat quietly in the offseason, maybe at the owner's meeting, competition committee, whatever, going, you know, this seems counterproductive. We should grade crews as crews, just like we select teams as teams. You Mm -hmm. know, you don't go, hey, well, Debo's playing really well, but, uh, you know, the rest of the 49ers, not so much. So we're going to pull Debo and put him on the Cowboys and just have an NFC playoff. Like, no, that's not how they do it for the teams. That's not how they should do it for the third team on the field either.
1: Uh, why don't we look ahead to uh, some of these divisional round games? Because I think, as you, as you mentioned earlier, the playoffs kind of start this week. Like, in terms of even fights. <laughs> like, actual weight classes that make sense here. Uh, Bengals versus Titans, first one we'll talk about. Uh, this is the only game of the weekend that is not a rematch. Ironically enough, two of the four games are rematches from Week Three. Uh, so this is a this is a game that we do not have any, I guess, 2021 reference material, and we're all kind of going off just what we know from these teams and on paper and how much ever you want to lean into metrics because there's a lot of metrics that say like, oh man, Cincinnati's not going to be able to block Tennessee at all, <laughs> game set match. Which, to a degree, you're probably right. Tennessee's defensive line is insane. They probably can't block them at all. Burrow got sacked like over 50 times. But at the same time, I don't have any confidence in the Titans' corners matching up with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You know, throw some to Ozama every now and then. You know, Mixon probably won't get much done because, again, that de- defensive line is insane. But I, I just do not see anybody in the Titans' secondary that I trust whatsoever to handle Jamar Chase. So if they just give Burrow two seconds, two seconds for him to literally catch the ball, glance at the safety, and throw a go ball down the right side, which he's done over and over and over again. You look at the heat maps of Joe Burrow's uh, deep balls and the amount that he's thrown literally to his right side when he gets a one-on-one on on the boundary with Jamar Chase. like It's almost automatic for him. You give him two seconds to throw that, they're going to come down with a couple of them. And that's where Cincinnati's points are going to come from. So that, to me, is the matchup. It's not necessarily, can they block Tennessee? They can't. It's, can Tennessee handle Jamar Chase? Because I also think they can't.
2: Mm, yes and yes. I The piece about can't block Tennessee, I think what people mean when they say that is, straight-up run blocking, can the Bengals take on the Titans? The answer is, no, they can't. Now, but that's not the only way that you can get the ball into Mixon's hands and the Bengals are going to have to know that, right? Zach Taylor's team is going to have to say, look, we're going to have him chip and then slide on little wheel routes. We're going to get the ball in his hands right about where he'd be if we pitched it to him, but we're not going to pitch it to him because we're going to show pass block. The defensive line's going to come in. He's going to be part of that. Slide out. We're going to flip him a couple of those and he's going to get a chance to move with the ball in space, which Mixon does very well. He breaks tackles pretty well. You know, can you just go toe to toe with the Titans in a traditional, like, inside zone? Like, uh, I don't really want to see that if I'm a Bengals fan. So get creative and Mixon allows you to do that because he is a decent receiver. He's great in space. He does break tackles. So they can get some production out of the running game and that's the air quotes for folks listening to the podcast only version running game which is just get the ball in mixon's hands in the short area and let him go but let's not like see if we can just take jeffrey simmons out like that's not a great idea um (laughs) so and the other thing is burrows used to not Having great protection, the line has been okay at points this year, but they've been pretty bad at other points. They were really bad last year, in his rookie year. He's used to sort of getting the ball and have to get it out. You know, getting the ball, take two steps to avoid the rush and chuck it. Like there's a lot of that, and he's pretty good at that. He's a quick decision maker. He's got a good arm and snappy. He can get it. You know, far enough at at two seconds, the receiver is not very far down the field. So, um, <laughs> Burrow's got plenty of arm to lead a receiver in that. And yeah, it's going to be they're going to have to stress the outside of the Titans' secondary. I'm I'm not going after Kevin Byard <laughs> if I can help it. Um, but yeah, in a straight up sort of toe to toe matchup, I, I'd give that match to the Titans. The other thing that we just sort of have to talk about is the return of Derrick Henry. Like he was ready yes. to go a week ago he's now coming back one would presume about as healthy as any football player can be at this point of the season uh he doesn't feel like a player that's gonna need a lot of warm-up he knows what he's doing he's done it he's a very veteran and experienced player he's got a ton of carries under his belt and he's rested and if he comes out steamrolling we haven't seen him at full power since the first month of the season yeah. Right. And they are a totally different team. The Titans are a completely different football team when they are power running behind Derrick Henry. In fact, we saw them in week two matching up against the Seahawks in a game that they probably should have lost. Four
1: yard gain, four-yard gain, forty-yard gain. That's how it was. Yeah. And it was
2: first <laughs> half. They didn't look great. And you know, Wilson was throwing moon balls to lock it in the first half, and the place was lit, and it looked like the Seahawks were gonna roll. And the Titans just Kept pounding, and I realized that's not their slogan. That's what they did. And in the second half, that was it. And mm-hmm. it was Derrick Henry beating them to death. And he's fresh. And if he is truly healthy and ready to roll, he could come out and have a 180 yard game. Like, that's not at all impossible against this Bengals defense. And if you know, derrick henry has anywhere north of 130 in this game which seems totally within the realm of possibility bengals are going to have their hands full now they can score from anywhere but again the titans defense is really pretty good so it's not a game you want to go behind by multiple scores and if you're getting your ass beat that's less chances for burrow to come out and pull the trigger right because they're going to control clock they're going to control field position and they're going to wear them down and burrow's Burrow and Chase are going to have to strike fast because they're not going to have a lot of time.
1: I think this is going to sound weird. One of the top five most important players in this entire game is DJ Reader. Because when you look at the guard-center-guard combo of the Titans, like that is where their rushing prowess has come from. Mm-hmm. Like Ben Jones has played well. Saffold's played well, at least in the run game uh both him and, and Nate Davis have been have been really really good in the run game this year. Pass protection's been spotty at best. <laughs> Up and down. <laughs> Up and down. But like that ironically uh battle between two former Texans uh between Ben Jones and DJ Reader is literally the key to the entire matchup between the Titans offense and the Bengals defense because when you look at the Titans run scheme, it's zone, it's zone, it's zone they don't run as much gap stuff as maybe i wish they did sometimes because teams will literally just see all the wide zone and the inside zone coming and they they know exactly how to fit that by now. Sometimes i wish they would kind of catch them a little bit off guard with like some pin and pulls, some traps like something. Like i know it's not Derrick Henry's like strength to do that kind of stuff, but still i wish they would kind of throw it in there just to at least get people thinking about it. Uh, And so, you know, with that kind of zone heavy run game with inside zone and wide zone, like people, you know, maybe don't realize this, but like the center versus nose tackle battle determines the success of those plays 80% of the time, because like they call it the pivot position for a reason. And the run, like the structure of a zone run pivots around that nucleus of the middle of the defensive line versus the middle of the offensive line. And if you have a nose tackle that's winning front side immediately, every single time against an undersized center like Ben Jones, that means Derrick Henry's going to have to cut back earlier than he wants to every single time. And it's 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 hard to get going when you're forced to cut back earlier than you really want to, because again, you want to string it out and then cut, unless you're just kind of running like belly zone all day, in which you you kind of want to cut early. But again, they don't do that as much not to get too deep in the weeds schematically speaking, but DJ reader versus Ben Jones is the matchup to watch. And so I implore you, if you're listening to this podcast before the game, pay attention to that because if you see DJ reader winning over and over and over again, might be a little bit longer of a day for the
2: Titans offense than, uh, than maybe we anticipate it. Yeah. It's like a balloon popping. If, if that nose tackle wins front side, he he basically sticks a pin into the. You can think of it like a pocket for a run. We think of pocket as pocket protection for passing, but think of it as a pocket for the run. And if he penetrates, gets in front of that center, and can stick a hand out there and make Henry either cut back or kind of bubble that, mm-hmm. bubble that cut wider a than bit he wants wider, to go. Yeah. Then there's more time for defenders to close. And look, everybody knows there's going to be a lot of focus on Derrick Henry. It'd be fascinating to me because Rabel is not the schemer that his old coach and Bill Belichick was. He he's good that way, but he he's going to lean on power. Like if he can have that and if Henry's there, he's not going to use him as a decoy. It would be fascinating if he did. I would <laughs> If he just love... secretly like wasn't healthy at all. <laughs> oh, and just <laughs> No, just use him for PA all day. Yeah. Like yeah. you're expecting 30 carries for Derrick Henry. So you're all like, Oh my God, it's Derrick Henry and you're triggering, right? You're crowding, you're triggering. And we're going to go PA double move and see what we can get out of you. Like, and they have the receivers to do it. They haven't all year, but I think that would be a fascinating turn. I don't think for the record, this is the way that's going to go. Vrabel's like, Oh, I got the bat back. I'm going to swing it. Like I'm going to come at you. And reader is the key to sort of popping the balloon, on those zone runs in the middle and you're right if he wins early uh i would call it a draw but again we just said that henry's gonna do his damage late so see how that stamina goes see how that because dj reader can't play every down especially not physical rundowns like that you will you will run down you will run out of gas so end of the game is where those 40 yarders might show mm-hmm. up when somebody's a little bit gas but early in the game he could really turn them away from that and that would that would absolutely spin it a little bit in the Bengals favor in the early going
1: yeah this game is really really hard to pick because they're both so talented and I think it's it's kind of like a strength on strength game in, in some ways you know um and schematically like even like schematically they do a lot of a lot of similar things on offense too um, you know, the passing game, passing games are structured a little bit different because I think the Bengals do a little bit more like straight drop back passing than the Titans do. But in terms of like how the run games are structured, pretty, pretty similar. So again, it's a fascinating game. I don't have a pick yet for it. Uh, you know, talk to me in a couple of days, once we're looking at injury reports and making sure nobody's going on the COVID list, do you have a preliminary pick?
2: No, I think what we have is what you said. We can see the path to victory for both teams. If this yeah. happens for Cincy, they win. If this happens for Tennessee, they probably win. Um, I, I'm i expecting the Titans to play very physical, like very physical. And it's not that the Bengals are unfamiliar with that. They play in the AFC North. There's a lot of slugfests. But that is the Vrabel core, right? Mm. Get big guys and have them hit. Like that is the team built in his image. And I'm expecting, you know, it's playoff football too. We saw, we did see that in week one of the playoffs, like the intensity ramped up. There were more skirmishes. It's you lose, you go home. There was a lot more really physical play. There were some notable physical plays in the first weekend playoff. football. And that's just going to ramp up as you go through the playoffs, that intensity, that physicality just ramps up. So this is going to be a knockdown drag out. If they get to burrow early, it's not looking good. If you if you bottle up Henry early and then you can, you know, clog passing lanes, Titans haven't been able to overcome that way when when Henry wasn't on the field. That's where a lot of their losses came from early in the season is this vaunted passing game with Tannehill and those receivers wasn't able to do a lot of damage when teams knew they had to lean on it. So we can see paths to victory, but I'm not predicting one way or another at the moment.
1: Let's talk about Bills versus Chiefs. This one is, I lean Buffalo a little bit, but man, betting anything against Patrick Mahomes in January sounds a little bit suicidal. So like, I don't feel good about it, but just kind of going off of, of what we've seen from both of these teams over the last, I don't know, five weeks. You know, Buffalo starting to find the run game a little bit. Defense looking as, as dangerous as ever. Even with Trey White being out for half the year, it does not look like they missed a beat in the secondary at all. And that's nothing against Trey White. He's a very valuable player, but it just it's a testament to to their coaching staff where it doesn't feel like that killed their defense at all to lose their, their best DB. Uh, the safeties are playing out of their minds. Poyer and Hyde. Uh, Hyde in particular had a... Re- ridiculous interception last week against Mac Jones, which wasn't even a bad ball from Mac. It was just a crazy play from Hyde. Uh and and, you know, how could you how could you look at what Josh Allen just did and not have full confidence in the Bills to to make a run here? Again, I don't feel great about betting against Kansas City in January because that's where they start breaking hearts. But I would feel even worse betting against Buffalo at this point because Josh Allen is playing ridiculous the defense is playing fantastic and one of the only things that was quote-unquote wrong with their team was their anemic run game they've started to find that a little bit as well so a balanced buffalo is a very hard buffalo to beat and again this is a this is almost an impossible game to pick i just feel like buffalo is a little bit more complete of a team than kansas city right now not by much but a little bit more
2: yeah, this one's the clash of the titans. I've seen people saying this week that they would settle for a bills chiefs super bowl this week.
1: <laughs> like, oh, I mean, it basically is the AFC championship to me.
2: Yep. Bill's chiefs super bowl would be great for a lot of people. Obviously that's not going to happen, but we are going to get to see two quarterbacks at their apex right now playing very good football. Go at it. And two teams that have really found themselves. And there's a bit of a mirror image between these two teams. I I went on our buddy the rock pile reports podcast uh last night and talked about this game and it's you know the chiefs stumbled early the bills started a little bit hotter but then they too had their trough in the middle of the season where they couldn't find balance they lost some games they shouldn't have and then both teams over the back half of the season especially kansas city right about that week seven week eight mark melvin ingram comes over in the trade the defense mm. gets right and the offense gets right at the same time because neither was supporting the other they were they were having struggles everywhere and it cleaned up like it clicked for the whole team at the same time which is kind of crazy bills didn't have that kind of unity but they did come together and start winning games and if we look at the most recent history a lot of people will go back and say well when when buffalo beat kansas uh, that's a completely different game for both teams yeah i wouldn't put a lot of stock in that Buffalo can win if they just stay where they are. The problem is, they haven't gotten three things consistently that they did get last weekend.
1: Hmm.
2: Josh played out of his mind. Like, yeah. Josh ascended to that level of, you can call it hot playoff QB or just, you know, it, it, he went to godlike performance. He looked smooth. He went. Through his progressions, easily, he looked like he was playing pickup football against some of the best football players in the world. When Josh is playing like that, the Bills can beat anybody. The thing that's tripped them up is, you alluded to it, lack of balance. Their run game wasn't great. Their run game came roaring back. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is that Dable has to call the game plan he did against the Pats, which is, I have a counterpunch for any punch you pull. And when those three things are happening, nobody beats Buffalo, including Kansas City. The problem is they don't all happen together. <laughs> not all the time, yeah. Not all the time. They did against the Pats and they rolled them. Like and the Pats are a very good football team and they rolled them. It was not close. If those three things continue, if that's a postseason trend and that's where they're at and they get some balance. Josh plays that very smooth, I can do anything kind of football, and Dable calls a game plan that has counter punches for all your blocks. Bills win. And I'm saying that against Pat at home late in the season on a Chiefs team that's playing extremely well. If one or one and a half of those elements kind of stumbles a little bit, and the Chiefs, who are playing very good football on both sides of the ball, get out and they get contributions from their middle guys on offense. If Nicole Hardman and Byron Pringle and especially McKinnon are contributing at the level they've contributed for the last week, week and a half, oof, look out. Like, Chiefs at home, that's, you know, mm-mm.
1: I think what's fascinating about this game is – For the first time in a long time, you know what's the game plan that that you always hear against Kansas City? Oh, run the ball. Keep Mahomes off the field. This is the first time I can remember in a long time where the Chiefs have been in a scenario where they need to play ball control. And for the love of God, do not let Josh Allen on the field. Quick game, quick game, quick game. Run the ball. I don't even care who their running back is. They've been banked up at the position. Whoever you need to get out there. Run the ball. If you're getting four yards of carry, that's a win. Every single drive needs to be double-digit plays. Every single drive, they need to own the clock, and they need to make Josh Allen have to press. Just like people used to try to make Mahomes press and be like, "Oh, I've only got five minutes left in this half. I I got to get ten points in this five minutes." And you know that's where the picks would come from because he would try to do everything by himself. They need to get Allen in that mindset on his back foot because if you allow Allen to then be comfortable and when I say comfortable Chiefs are gonna play a lot of zone it's gonna be a lot of too high stuff like it's gonna be a lot of zone because playing man against the Bills is suicide and so Allen is perfectly capable of sitting back there and doing the exact same thing back to them of like four yard throw four yard throw four yard throw hand it off do a little RPO here and there they're perfectly capable of doing those 10-play drives as well. But if you make Allen feel like they need to score and they need to score now, that's when the mistakes happen. So it's almost like a mirror image of these two teams where they both need to play ball control to keep each other off the field because they both get beat in the same kind of way. And so it's fascinating me because for the first time in a long time, the Chiefs have to do what other teams try to do to them, whether or not they're capable of doing that. We'll see, but I, if they try to do this whole, like, oh, we're going to get 50 yard chunks to Tyreek and, and, you know, rip off 21 points in eight minutes, like that's not going to do much for them because the bills can match that. And then you get in the second half where notoriously the chiefs tend to be a little bit, a little bit clunky in second half sometimes. And that's when they kind of go into their, their little pit of despair historically, when they're going up against a team that can match them blow for blow, explosive play for explosive play in the first half, and then you get to the second half where they fall apart a little bit, Buffalo doesn't really fall apart. So it's it's a really, really interesting game. The Chiefs need to play ball control offense for the first time in forever. And if they don't do that, uh, this one could get away from them a little
2: bit, in my opinion. Yeah, third downs are going to be a key... Uh... On both sides but particularly the buffalo offense versus the kansas city defense they're they are going to force them into some third downs that defense is playing really well and when josh does that thing that only josh can do which is roll out of the pocket with that crazy mobile huge frame of his look back to his first read after going through three reads throw it across his body 20 yards you know for a 13 yard pickup on third and 10 and start all over again with a fresh set of downs he can frustrate the defense right because there's not many people on the planet that can do that Herbert can do it he can do it Mahomes can do it Aaron Rodgers can certainly do it you know but in that way of being like nope you said it a couple of weeks ago the scheme was correct we were in the right place we had the right play in place and he just broke it because he's x in this case he's josh allen playing at a really high level that can frustrate the defense too and they can spagnuolo might start to feel very experienced coordinator but he might start to feel like we have to do something a little different so that we don't get there because he's done it to us three times now and we're starting to feel like he can just extend a drive whenever he wants to we have to do something to get him to that place you're talking about that frustrated place where he's pressing or he doesn't feel like he can have that ease because if you see that you talked about reader in the last game if you see that ease from allen in the first quarter quarter and a half yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a long day right because he can just do that Mahomes can do it on the other side too he can take those little checks and chunk downs and not try and throw deep against those two safeties which i would not recommend ever they are they are playing (laughs) really really well right now and have been for most of the season but they're getting a little more pub for it now especially after that interception last week But make no mistake, this is not a newfound thing for the Buffalo safeties. They've been playing really, really well since midseason. So deep's not a great thing, and they're going to have to work. And if you look at the ball distribution from last week, and look, I know it was against the Steelers. I get it. But to me, it kind of doesn't matter because it doesn't look typical Chiefs, right? If you're talking about receptions, it's five for Kelsey, six for McKinnon, four for Robinson, five for Hill four for Hardman, five for Pringle. If they're doing that, if Mahomes is taking what the defense gives him, not trying to force it to anyone and just throwing it to the open guy, because look, if you got four guys, and that's what I said, if they're all playing well enough and you've got four guys, somebody's going to be open on each play. And if Mahomes just takes it and sort of marches down the field, stacks plays, great. If he starts reaching and goes against those safeties, might not turn out so great for him.
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's gonna be a very high-scoring game. I think the over/under is like fifty-two, something like that. <laughs> which, honestly, seems a little, seems a little low. Like you think each team's only gonna get like twenty-six points? Like eh, I don't if know. they
2: both go off, it's real low because both teams are scoring machines. Yeah,
1: but it's gonna be a fun game. If I had a pick, again Buffalo, but very. Very slight would not surprise me if Kansas City won, but I'm very, very slightly favoring Buffalo. Uh, let's get to 49ers-Packers. This is one of the rematches from Week Three. Both, uh, both the NFC games are actually rematches from Week Three. Now I think about it. Um, so this game is is fascinating because when you when you look at how the 49ers had to score the first time around, I'm doing a film room episode on this. This week, by the way, which I think comes out the same day as this podcast. Um, when you look at the how the 49ers had to score, they did not run the ball well at all. Still put up 28, which by Niner standards, not running the ball and still putting up 28 seems good. But how they did it was fascinating to me because very early on in that game, the Packers defense, which plays kind of a Fangio type style, they were stopping the run from two high safety shells because their defensive line was kicking the absolute shit out of the 49ers offensive line. Kenny Clark was unblockable. Preston Smith was doing wondrous things on the edge, ragdolling George Kittle of all people, you know, getting two for ones on Kittle and check on the same play and then freeing up Devondre Campbell to, to shoot in the backfield unblocked for, for tackles for loss. Like They were annihilating these dudes at the line of scrimmage. And I know Eli Mitchell wasn't playing. It was a Trey Sermon game, so the run game looked a little bit different than it does now. They still use Debo a little bit in the run game, but again, not as much as they do now. But schematically speaking, they were not doing anything different. A little bit different personnel, but schematically speaking, they were not doing anything different, and they could not block the Packers. So they sat back there in two high safety looks and they said, We don't give a shit. We're gonna leave Amos and Savage back here. Go ahead try to boot, try to throw the deep cross. We're going to leverage it every single time. And then you're going to get the the crap beat out of you, which they did. So in the second half, what you started to see the 49ers do was quick game, quick game, quick game. They they tried like one boot and it didn't work. And they're like, you know, screw that. Quick game, quick game, quick game. And Shanahan was dialing up all these concepts, can't necessarily call it, like a quarters beater, but more of so just like horizontal stretches that just create these seams in zone coverage because the Packers barely played man. They played like five snaps of man this whole game. And it was just dink and dunk and dink and dunk. And you, you saw them kind of slowly work their way down the field. They barely even ran the ball in early downs because they're like, we're not even going to try that anymore. It's going to be sticker outs to Kittle, slants to Ayuk, you know, speed digs to Muhammad Sanu against a safety who's sitting 20 yards off. And they just worked it and worked it and worked it, and they and they came back. They made it a game. They took a lead in the fourth quarter. This matchup is interesting to me because I feel like we might see the exact same thing. We I feel like the Packers are going to play the exact same defense they did because their defensive line is still better than San Francisco's offensive line, even including Trent Williams. And I think they're going to play the exact same defense, have the exact same success, and they're going to challenge Jimmy to say, go beat us. Go into the drop-back pass game. Beat us again with the quick game. See if you can do it. More importantly, see if you can outscore Aaron Rodgers. And so I feel like this game is also going to be close, but it's going to play out the exact same way it did last time, and everything's going to be on Garoppolo's shoulders. And I'll tell you what, if you're you're putting a playoff game on Garoppolo's (laughs) shoulders versus Aaron Rodgers' shoulders... I still feel like the Packers are going to win. It'll be close, but schematically speaking, these teams do the exact same thing they did before, and I think it'll be a very similar game.
2: Interesting take. Uh, this much later in the season, I'm really interested in Fred Warner's knee or ankle or whatever it was. I, well, did His you see the, the
1: play of how it happened, yeah. where he rolled it? Oh, yeah, it looked terrible,
2: and it I thought, so bad. ooh. That's not the way you want to be going after or going into a game against the Packers. Um, he sounds like he's going to play. I want to see if he's as mobile because one of the most middle linebackers out there, uh, certainly very capable, one of the most capable in pass coverage, which is going to be key against Rodgers in that offense and a lot of the LeFleur concepts. If he is anything but 100 percent, Aaron's going to pick on him. Um, mm-hmm. and they're going to run all those, little, all those little middle pieces where Warner would be the guy that you'd kind of be staying away from trying to pick around the edges, um, we're going to see that. So if I'm the Niners, I hope my defensive line, which played very well against the Cowboys, plays as well against the offensive line of Green Bay and gets into Rogers' face because, like Brady, like Manning in his prime – you put those guys on their back early in the game, they get frustrated. They get a little Mm -hmm. bit angry with their offensive linemen. It's a thing. We're going to talk about it in the next game as well. If you get some physical pressure on those quarterbacks early, it's not that they fold, but they get angsty. They get a little bit off their game. If he's standing back there with a clean jersey in the middle of the second quarter, I have a feeling the score is going to be better for Green Bay than it is for the Niners at that point. So they're hoping the defensive line can take it to him. But Bakhtiari's back. And he's had a week under his belt.
1: So you is Darius Smith.
2: Yeah, they're getting guys back. And that's one of the things about this longer season. We talked about Derek Henry earlier, but guys like Darius Smith, guys like Bakhtiari who are coming back late in the season and really changing the sort of playoff balance. If you've got a healthy David Bakhtiari left tackle, like Rogers, is going to worry less. He trusts yeah. that guy with his life and has for a long time. And we know Rogers can do it. I think they're going to sour some of the Niners' enthusiasm, and I can see the Packers winning this game. Uh, if they keep Rodgers upright early, because as we all know, it's just difficult to stop him. He will find the smallest cracks, make ridiculous throws, uh, and they lead to points. Like this is not a team that's had trouble scoring points. They have been able to convert from all areas of the field, long drives, short drives, uh, and they do it consistently. They counter punch. So even if, you know, Debo breaks one of those 55 yarders and scores early, like, it's not over at a, by any stretch. Like, I think the Packers can methodically work back with again without reaching. And uh, really interested in the middle of that 49ers defense against this Packers offense.
1: Now, one of the other elements of this game that could drastically change it is Jimmy G's health. It has been yeah. reported, rumored. I, I don't know what the proper word for it is that people inside that building have said that it does not look good for him to start because the thumb and the shoulder injury together. (laughs) Um, He's beat up. He's beat up. If he's able to play, he will play because over Kyle Shanahan's dead body. Is he going to put Trey Lance out there for a start against Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs? Not that I blame him for that, Mm -mm. but we are one hit away from this being a Trey Lance playoff game. And I, he's got to be ready. And I'm also fascinated to see if maybe, maybe this is a fool's hope. Maybe they get Lance involved a lot in terms of a package in the red zone.
2: Oh no, you did it. You went there. They haven't done it all year. If you're not going to do it now, yeah, I don't. When are you gonna do it? I don't. Next year is the answer. I don't think they're gonna do it now. But back to Jimmy G's health and the one hit away. Like it's gonna sound weird because that defensive line, especially with Zedarius Smith back, we talked about Kenny. Kenny is is an underrated, annually underrated monster. Preston Smith. Like they they have lots of weapons on the defensive line. I'm gonna I'm gonna just call my shot and say Devondre Campbell he's been great this year late blitz oh that's what's gonna that's Devondre Campbell like maybe coffee house maybe not but maybe stunt maybe twist where it looks like he's gonna go with with Kittle and just pulls on the inside of a twist and Devondre Campbell's a big dude yeah (laughs) and he's been moving great and very few people have been paying attention um outside of of green bay land uh if he comes in and gets a gets a shot on jimmy that that could be him to the bench like it's going to be cold uh, the ground's going to be hard and he's he's already gimping he's tough as it comes like and he's used to it like he went to college up there you know he he understands that but he's He's ta- I mean he's got the brace on his thumb, chip, ligament damage. Now they're saying shoulder on top of that. There was a word midweek last week about a knee, and then the knee came off the list. Like-
1: every single limb he has is yeah. hurt right now. And credit to him for being tough enough to play through all this. But when you're in I don't even know what the temperature is gonna be, probably under 20. Yep. <laughs> and and you have a big ass linebacker, like you said, Devondre Campbell, who's too 245, something like that, somewhere around I'd say,
2: there? I'd say somewhere between 235, 245. I don't know what yeah. he's at late in the season, but he can move. He's big. He knows how to hit. And if he comes in and gets a good one on Jimmy G, we could see Trey Lance, and that changes the entire dynamic. Yeah. So it's
1: it's a very very fascinating game, uh, schematically speaking. Again, if Jimmy is playing, especially because he's hurt, you do not want to try to stretch the field with somebody who's got multiple injuries to their throwing arm. Um, I think it's going to be the same thing we saw last time. Quick game, quick game, quick game. Running game might be a little bit more effective with Eli Mitchell um, just because he's a little bit more explosive of an option. And you know, Debo is also really good in like, the wide zone and the toss game. But th- the Packers' run defense has been so sound against these style of systems that regardless of who's carrying the ball, they got a lot of bodies to go through. So, again, I think it's going to be a very similar game provided jimmy's playing and not lance once lance is in the game all bets are off you know i think there's a completely different call sheet for him but i'm really fascinated to see to see how this one shakes out again i favor the 49ers or not 49ers i favor the packers just because of the massive difference in in quarterback quality Uh, regardless of of how good the 49ers roster overall is like it's Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, th- that's a that's a huge, huge difference, and that counts for me. So I favor Green Bay, but at the same time, wouldn't be shocked if the 49ers pull off a second consecutive upset because, again, great defensive line, great most of the time run game. They do have some weapons that can do masterful things after the catch. They can do it. It's unlikely, but they can do it.
2: Yeah. They have to start fast. If they're going to do it, they have to start fast. Like they did against the Cowboys. They have to roll out to some kind of lead. Uh, if they just kind of want to go punch for punch with green Bay in their house in the cold, I don't, I don't see it as, Oh, it just comes down to whoever gets the ball last. No, it comes down to Aaron Rodgers wanting to advance and playing out of his mind. I mean, that's, we've, we always talk about him, but like literally he played as well as anybody in the NFL this year um at any position and that includes the trent williams like he played his position better than anybody first team all pro also be, what's what's ironic to is
1: is you say oh it'll come down or it won't come down to whoever had the ball last when they played the, each other the first time you know jimmy quote-unquote had the ball last with like two and a half minutes go down get a touchdown and then rogers had like 40 seconds <laughs> <laughs> went down field goal so it's like even if you're doing the whole who has the ball last thing if Aaron Rodgers has
2: the ball last you lose anyway so I'm I am <laughs> as a Bears fan fully aware of this and everybody was celebrating when they scored that touchdown and I'm like too much time W Y D? what are you doing yeah. like no you don't understand he's not walking out scared he's done this a hundred times usually to my favorite team just watch oh look He got a field goal. This is my shocked face.
1: Yeah. He's just, he's Aaron Rodgers, man. He's Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Last game of the weekend, Rams Buccaneers. So this one, I think, comes down to one thing and one thing only, which is Tampa Bay probably going to take away the Rams run game because that's what they do best. Can Matthew Stafford win this game without the support of a steady run game? Because we look at them dismantling Arizona. Stafford only threw it 17 times. A lot of play action, and you know, even when it was straight drop back pass game, a lot of it was like, "Oh, OBJ has a one on one." You know, let me work that. Let me work that matchup because my number two receiver is better than your number two corner every single time. So, if you can take away Cam Akers and you can take away Sony Michelle, which by the way, Cam Akers looked phenomenal five and a half months after tearing his Achilles, that was insane. But if you could take away that run game and you force Stafford every single time that he has to carry the load by himself. Can he do it? That is an unanswered question. I'm not saying he can't, but it is an unanswered question. And I think the quickest way to find out where the Rams stack up in this game is to make Stafford convert third and eight every single time and just see how long he can keep that up. Because I have a lot more confidence in Tom without a run game than I do with Stafford without a run game. Neither of these teams are probably going to run the ball very well. I'd be very surprised if either of them did. But in that kind of game, where it literally is all on quarterback shoulders, I have a lot more confidence in Tom being able to kind of keep things afloat and keep things moving than I do with Stafford. And that's nothing against Stafford. I'm just saying, <laughs> sample size from this season, when he doesn't have a run game, things go awry pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, it forces him to throw more often, and in volume, he hasn't been great. He hasn't had a lot of those 40-plus pass attempt games where it was like, oh, he just took over, and we didn't need to run, so we just let him keep throwing. Like, usually when he throws 30, 35-plus times, he's going to throw a couple of picks in there. And if he does that and play on football and the Bucks play the way they have, it's not probably going to go the Rams' way. So first key is doing what they do well shutting down sony michelle and now they have acres to worry about that is a different wrinkle and his burst sort of pop explosion verve whatever you want to call it was otherworldly and um our buddy Jordan Rodrique wrote a great uh uh great piece about the surgery and his sort of round the clock rehab and it's just fascinating that that's even possible but he looked not just like oh he's back and he got a few carries he was he looked great he was explosive (laughs) so that's a different wrinkle but tampa's handled a lot of good rushers this year their offensive line the bucks offensive line that is is a little banged up jensen went out of the game a couple times got taped up super tough guy came back in but he is nowhere near 100 uh they had other offensive linemen miss some downs in this game they are not the sort of impenetrable shield in front of brady and i know brady moves uh (laughs) uncannily well for a 44 year old uh but that Rams D line is not to be messed with. You've got Aaron Donald, you got Von Miller. um, Floyd's playing great. Greg Gaines has been contributing sort of quiet, well, quietly to, again, those that don't watch the Rams very often. But if you've been paying attention, Greg Gaines has been a force that defensive line can put pressure on a quarterback. And if they start knocking Tom around early, it's just like I said with Rodgers, or certainly with Stafford going the other way. If you get some DB blitzes from the bucks and they start putting Stafford on his back, he's banged up as well. He's a super tough guy, just like Jimmy G, but he is not fully healthy either. And, you know, there, it seems like there's a little bit more possibility for the Rams strength, that D line to get to Tom and sort of change the early outcome of this game, but I'm agreeing with you that the Bucks are gonna are gonna clamp down on the Rams run game, and if they do, and they force Stafford to throw a lot, that plays into the Bucks hands.
1: Yeah, there, there's something about uh, a, a way less than healthy Tristan Wirfs having to deal with Von Miller, or maybe throw Aaron Donald out there on the edge just because you can. In a vacuum, healthy Wirfs versus healthy Von, I'd give the edge to Wirfs unhealthy worfs. like we saw him when he tried to go back into that game and it, he just he couldn't move he could not move he was very uncomfortable he was in a lot of pain you know medical science i'll, I'll say that with a with air quotes uh can make players feel pretty good on game day hmm. but i'll tell you what you only get one shot pregame, and it starts to wear off by the third quarter how how does worfs look with pain management by the second half, and again, I haven't even checked to see if he's going to play. I assume he will because he still went back into that game. Um, but pain management in the third and fourth quarter is a lot different than pain management in the first and the second quarter. And by the second half of that game, again, you you got a 70-60% Tristan Wirfs going against Von Miller. If that game is is not in the Bucks' favor by that point and they're having to throw a lot to come back, that is a matchup that makes me very very worried for Tampa Bay. Again, can they still win this game very easily? You've got Tom Brady. You've got Gronk who's still an elite tight end even at his age. By the way, Gronk, Kelsey, same age. Somebody said that this week and I was like, "Really?" Yes, they are. Doesn't seem like it, but they are. Oh. Um, you know, you still have Mike Evans who's amazing, you have some other young receivers, uh, you know, maybe Scotty Miller will will make his his annual 40, 50-yard bomb-out-of-nowhere play in this game that we've been waiting for forever. Uh, so, you know, there, there's still a lot of options here for the Buccaneers. But, yeah, there's something about the banged-up offensive line versus this Rams front. I don't feel awesome about it. So, to me, it's almost like it's one of those games, uh, it's like the opposite of... Um, of Bengals Titans, where it's like, you know, we, we see paths to victory for both teams. I almost see paths to defeat for both teams. <laughs> it's like if the Rams can't run, they're going to struggle. Uh, if the offensive line can't protect against Vaughn and Aaron, I don't know what they're going to do do there either. So I, I'm, I'm more worried about both teams than I am confident in both teams, if that makes sense.
2: It does. And what you said to open about the Bucks is really big if they start getting to brady right if they start getting to brady and physically pressuring him with that defensive line last year hey man playoff lenny hand it off pound yeah. it into him right wear him down e- no playoff lenny going on for the bucks and we're not super confident in their ability to run again behind that banged up offensive line it's the same guys pass blocking that are run blocking and you know firing off the ball is not that much easier when you're in pain um so it's not like they can just go, oh, we're just going to pivot and we're going to make sure Tom doesn't get hit for the next three or four plays. We're just going to hand it off and pick up three, four yards of carry. Not necessarily like those could be two yard losses if Donald penetrates and, and hits Keyshawn Vaughn in the backfield. So it's sort of like you want to make a team play left handed if they start hitting Brady and he doesn't have the time, they're not just going to be able to pivot to sort of quick game. That's not a real strength for the Bucks, or just handing it off because they don't have all their weapons there or a fully healthy, healthy offensive line. So what do they do? What is their B? What is their left hand if they go to it? Um, and it'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, no more experienced player in history in the playoffs than Tom Brady. So that's always a factor. Um, they popped up that graphic that, you know next most playoff playoff games after brady's 30 whatever is it was like montana's 16 or whatever it was like yeah no. something
1: crazy like that
2: yeah it was like 35 to 16 it was like oh man more than twice the the next best player in history so if you have anybody back there trying to figure out what to pivot to i'll, I'll take brady sure but that offensive line and how it performs early uh because they're definitely going to wear down throughout the game is going to be a key factor in this one
1: for what it's worth i just looked it up because i i wanted to see if because i i knew that Fournette didn't practice i wanted to see if rojo at least practiced he didn't practice either so there was no worse today no rojo no shack barrett no jpp no Fournette. grayson came back uh yep. Levante came back. He's still limited, but he came back. He's gutting it out. Mike Edwards was there. But, like, this is a beat-up team. In a vacuum, they're better, but they might not have all their dudes. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, they're going to have to
2: lean on tight ends because their tight end <laughs> roster is still great. You've got Gronkowski, yeah. who's a little beat-up, but still playing at a high level. you got Cameron Brate, who people tend to forget about. And then you still have Howard, like, You you have great tight ends and you could you could pivot to a a short seam game with tight ends, little hooks and squares like Brady can throw that all day long seam routes like that might be the thing that might be what they have to go to if they're not going to be able to hit those longer developing routes to Evans or the the bomb to Scotty Miller that you were talking about. So they could do it. There's a real strength there, but again, they haven't like all season. So are they going to roll out that wrinkle and, and throw it, you know, 15 times to the combination of their three tight ends. It'd be fascinating if they did. Yeah. So
1: overall, I mean, playoff slate looking a hell of a lot better this week than it did last week. I'll say that much. Um, It's, if I was going to make a prediction next week's matchups, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Green Bay. <sighs> Fuck it.
2: Tampa? Yeah. I'm not super confident in any of them. If I if I had to pick my most confident <laughs> game of the week, it's Packers over 49ers. Like, I I feel the best about that one. Am I 100 is it a lock? Mm-mm. But do I feel better than any of the others? I do again Bengals got to fire off on offense if henry comes back and goes crazy then it's tennessee's game bills chiefs is like we, we talked about it at length like if the bills come out and they're firing on all cylinders they could beat anybody if they're missing one or one and a half of those cylinders it's the chiefs at home because they're playing great football packers I think beat the 49ers and then Rams bucks really comes down to the health of the bucks offensive line for me and whether or not the Rams have to throw more than 30 or 35 times, 17 times against that Arizona team. That's a really low number for a super talented, you know, Cooper Cup won the triple crown, right? And you end up throwing the ball seventeen times. They did they targeted him like once in the first half. Yeah, well, so. when
1: you only have to throw it seventeen times, it helps. And a that lot. was <laughs> and that
2: was key, right? They yeah. could get away with that. They're I don't think gonna be able to get away with that balance for all the reasons we talked about against the Bucks defense. So if that number starts to creep up for the Rams, I'd say victory sort of tilts towards the Bucks. Dude
1: kansas city might throw it 17 times in their first two drives
2: <laughs> very possible <laughs>
1: jesus uh so why don't we get out of here um i don't you don't have bears or Bears this week do you no
2: we got a we got a break we got a hiatus for bears over Bears. the other podcasts if you're a bears fan are still going off on the windy city channel bear and balanced and um uh bear with me and and those podcasts but we're all, all a manner with... of bear puns all manner of bear <laughs> things yes many yeah. bear things um, but I'm, no, I'm taking that time and diving in. I'm, I'm a bit behind and I will feel that way until we are done with the draft because there are so many players to look at and more pour in every day from all kinds of sources. We were talking about this pre-show. This is the time of year that people start hitting us up in the DMS and have you seen this guy and you really need to check out this guy and we're building our lists. We're going to share that with all the patrons, but I'm, I'm really prepping for Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl. And again, the top guys, uh, both of those rosters have different strengths and it's going to be fascinating we're going to be on site in vegas but we're going to be covering the, the senior bowl as well um so that's really my focus right now when i have free time i did the, the clock ticked over about january 2nd where i feel automatically guilty if i'm not watching film and i'm doing something else like if i'm not working or doing bootleg or making travel arrangements or whatever i'm like even when i'm upstairs like making a cup of coffee i'm like i could be I could be fitting in another. Oh, I, I had people
1: tape. giving me shit. Cause I did like a little, just like tongue in cheek, like just like, like when the top 15 picks, like order was set, it's like a little, like just from guys that I had watched. It's like, yeah, all these make sense. People were like, where's, where's Ojabo for
2: Michigan? I was like,
1: I've only got to watch like two guys from Michigan. I
2: haven't watched him yet. Yeah. It's 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 December snippets, (laughs) snippets and notes, but like that is cranking up for me. Like the rest of my life is shutting down and it is focus on film. Uh, It'll be the all-star games. But then like when everybody kind of goes away and that buzz dies down, like that's when it just gets cranked up to 11 and it's, you know, I have goals for every day. I have goals for every weekend, for every free day when I'm not working, like how many I need to get through, which position groups, what's priority, why. Um, so all that work is just cranking into high gear for me.
1: Yeah. When when we don't have to chart eight different teams for divisional round weekend to do a podcast on it, we'll have a little bit more time to watch, uh, you know, some random wide receiver from Northwest Appalachian A&T. You know, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll get there eventually. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening and also for watching on the YouTube version of the show, a little bit of a shorter podcast this week, but there's less games to talk about. So, uh, we're, we're kind of in that part of the year. We're transitioning from the football that is currently being played to the football that will be played in give or take nine months. So, uh, very, very exciting times. Again, go check out the Patreon. We're going to give you guys some options in terms of kind of directing our draft talk during draft season for all patrons and uh, we'll see you guys very, very soon. Uh, thank you once again to the Bootleg Hall of Fame. You know, Marat, Consti, Caden, Fitz, all of you guys, uh, you know, helping to keep us afloat. It's been awesome. Also, go check out the Clips channel that we just launched. I'm going to be taking a few clips from this episode and putting them up, uh, you know, probably Friday, I would imagine. I'm going to kind of edit those out while I edit the full episode. So go subscribe to that. That's linked down in the description below. And uh, until next time, see you guys later.
0: Take care.